Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Inclusive Class Podcast. Through interviews and discussions, it's our goal to explore the promise and practice of inclusive education. I'm Nicole Eredix and I'm one of your hosts for the show. I'm a parent, inclusion teacher, and creator of the online resource, theinclusiveclass.com. And joining me here on the Inclusive Class this morning is my co-host, Terry Morrow. Good morning, Terry. Good morning, Nicole, and welcome to all our listeners. I am Terry Morrow. I'm the author of 50 Ways to Support Your Child's Special Education, and I write about special needs for about.com at specialchildren.about.com. I'd like to mention anybody out there listening to us live that we are not taking phone calls, so if you're looking at a phone number on the Blog Talk Radio site, it is lying to you. That will go nowhere. Um, I'm also sort of bracing myself at the moment for the start of the Reader's Choice Awards on my About.com site, which nominations will start on Monday. So if everybody can think of their favorite special needs resources, uh, specifically blogs and uh, new books have been published over the past year and websites that are helpful to you and online communities, uh, regional resources that are online. Be thinking about those and be ready to nominate them starting on Monday and re- nominate them repeatedly throughout a uh, month-long process of nominations, which will then move on to have five finalists and voting for those. Uh, this is part of a larger contest on About.com, and I'm really excited to always every year have it on my site because it's a great opportunity mm-hmm. for all of us to celebrate these really wonderful resources for parents of kids with special needs. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I take it as an opportunity to go on a, uh, a long period of spotlighting these resources uh, and uh, so that everybody, no matter who wins, everybody gets a little publicity out of it. So uh, please be thinking about that and look on Monday on my site at specialchildren.about.com for the nominating forms. I will not, unfortunately, have a category for favorite podcast because, of oh. course, everybody would have to vote for us, and that would be a conflict <laughs> of interest. So... Uh, <laughs> other categories of interest. So what's going on with you, Nicole, these days, Nicole? Oh, I had to register my son for the SAT this week. So, uh uh-huh, which is a whole (laughs) new world for us. (laughs) See, this is what's nice about having kids. We we just skipped right over the SATs and went directly to community college. (laughs) We didn't even deal with this stuff. That's how you do it. One of the small benefits of having kids who you know Uh need to see travel with a path. I feel like I'm in a whole other world with this thing. Uh, you know, we're not familiar with it in Canada. We have our own really? types of testing. Most provinces, though, don't have a standard exit exam, I guess you would call it, um, or I don't even know what really it is. I, who am I to talk about the SAT? <laughs> but it's a little we, slice of hell. It sounds like it. So, <laughs> But we get the feeling that it's a really big deal, so we've kind of been swept up in the momentum and – you know, we're buying yeah. books and looking at online tutorials. And yesterday I registered my son for a weekend boot camp. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, yeah. I feel like we're on this train that's, uh, you know, I, I know that we're supposed to get there, but um, I don't know anything about it. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's coming up. He's got to write it in March. So that's our I- big... I took it many, many, many years ago, back when you used to engrave your answers on stone. But I uh, don't remember that much about it other than it's, you know, it's just a big honking test of everything you've ever learned in your life. And yeah. it's 
and and so much stress is placed on it. Like if you do not get the best grade, you're never going to go to the college of your choice, and you're going to be doomed to failure. Yeah. Um, even though really, probably, you know, unless you want to go to Harvard, you probably can get into the school of your choice. Well, um, it still feels like it's you know that big deal. It's the uh, yeah. the one. The scores are going to get you in there. Anyway, it doesn't sound very inclusive, and that's why we're here today, <laughs> is to change the education system and make it inclusive. And we have Dr. Cheryl Jorgensen with us this morning to help us promote inclusion. Good morning, okay. Cheryl. How are you? I'm well. Thank you so much for inviting me. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you. Uh, we are um, uh, here this morning to talk about inclusive education and facilitating inclusion in the classroom. And Cheryl, I know a little bit about your background. Can you give the guests a bit of information about what you do and um, the work that you do? Sure. Uh, for 26 years, I was a faculty researcher at the Institute on Disability at the University of New Hampshire. And during that time, I was involved in teacher education, providing professional development uh, to practicing uh, administrators and teachers. I spent a lot of time in classrooms and in meetings <laughs> uh, yeah. in schools trying to help them figure out how to create classrooms in which all students naturally belonged. Um, mm -hmm. I did some research, and then um, a year ago I retired from the university, um, but I'm still okay. very active in national policy work um, and doing some uh, fair bit of consulting with schools. Right, so still very involved, even though you're at the university. Good. Yes, and I'm finally finding well, find finding more relaxed time to do some writing. So <laughs> good for you. Well, we'll look forward to all the writing that you're going to do down the road. Thanks. Um, and you have so much knowledge to share. Now, and one of the the things that um, I think is you know important to know about, and that I know that you can shed some light on, is that. I often hear people talking about mainstreaming, integration, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. inclusion and uh, referring to the same thing, you know, mm -hmm. that they all mean the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. Although, as you and I and Terry know, they are different. <laughs> Can you explain to the audience what the difference is between inclusive education and mainstreaming or integration? Sure. Uh, mainstreaming was sort of the first revolution in um, providing students with disabilities some access, some opportunity for participating in general ed, regular classrooms. So typically a student with a disability would be assigned to a special ed class as their primary placement, but then mm -hmm. periodically they would go into a regular class. Um, a lot of schools first began mainstreaming students in music or art or physical mm -hmm. education. Or they would mm -hmm. come in for a part of a lesson, but most of their instruction was still uh, taking place back in a special ed class. So that's, that's mainstreaming. Mm -hmm. um, integration was the second revolution. Um, oh, in the 1980s or so, um, people, began, people began to notice that when students were mainstreamed, even if it was just for social reasons, that students were picking up academic mm -hmm. and um, functional skills. So they mm -hmm. said, huh, why don't we do this in a more planful way? Our student will still be a primary member of that special ed class, but there will be dedicated periods of time on a daily basis 
when a student would go into a general ed classroom. Um, typically, that might have been social studies or science, okay. but the student was still receiving their primary instruction in language arts and math in the separate classroom. Mm-hmm. Once again, parents and educators noticed students were making more gains um, mm-hmm. based on the time that they were in a regular class. And in the late 1980s, a uh, Canadian um, advocate named Marsha Forrest mm-hmm. coined the term inclusion, inclusive education. And inclusion is a form of educating all students as um, fully participating members of general education classrooms and providing them with the support that they need to be successful. Um, and there are sort of four um, elements of a, the description of um, inclusive education. Um, in an inclusive classroom, all students are presumed to be competent. Mm-hmm. They are all welcomed as valued members of all general ed classes and extracurricular activities in their local schools. Mm-hmm. They fully participate and learn alongside their same age peers in general ed instruction based on the general curriculum. Mm-hmm. And then finally, they experience reciprocal social relationships, social relationships right. that aren't based on typical kids, quote, helping students with disabilities. So right. inclusion um, is it's a way of thinking about um, all students' talents and gifts, and it's a way of practicing teaching education um, that right from the beginning of the planning process of what do I want to teach and how do I want to teach it, how do I do that in a way that accommodates the learning needs of all students? And in the most natural way, too, as you had mentioned mm-hmm. earlier. That's um, right. Ma- yeah, making it uh, a very natural experience. Now, you've mentioned um, research several times here, uh, noting that parents and teachers uh, have noticed that, you know, the children have benefited, special, mm-hmm. children with special needs have benefited from being in inclusive classrooms. Mm-hmm. What does the actual research say about inclusive education? Um, the research is what I will call, and I'll define for you, it's correlational research, which means what we know is that um, particular outcomes, better outcomes for students with disabilities are related to or correlated with the amount of time they spend in a general ed classroom. There's really never been a, a big formal research study where students are randomly assigned to you know, regular and special ed classes and, mm-hmm. and um, analysis looked at it from that point. But there really are 35 years of um, research studies that show students have better educational outcomes, better academic gains, um, improved functional skills in the areas of communication, social skills, management, um, better life outcomes in terms (laughs) of um, higher rates of post-secondary education, and living uh, a fully inclusive life in the community in typical housing, having a regular job. Um, and the other piece of research um, that's pretty clear is um, students' social skills are enhanced yeah. by their participation in, in general ed and their social networks are larger. Okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Great. Yeah. Thank you. Sure. 
Oh, Terry, are you? Nope. You're on. Oh. Oh. Usually you ask three questions, and so I have a little time to. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, this sounds wonderful, what you're describing. And um, I, when you started talking about mainstream, it took me back to when our my kids' elementary school first started rumbling towards inclusion mm-hmm. grudgingly. Mm-hmm. And their way of mainstreaming was taking a self-contained class and dropping it into a regular class, but the self-contained mm-hmm. class had a range of ages in it. Mm-hmm. So you would get, you know, they put my kindergarten, my son was like in a kindergarten age, uh, kindergarten first grade class, mm-hmm. and they put them in with first graders. So my little mm-hmm. kid is already delayed in, in physical skills anyway, motor skills anyway, and is a year younger than everybody else, is in there mm-hmm. playing dodgeball with first graders. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, and also his sister was in an inclusion class that was in, you know, the, the, the grade that she was in, he got put into that even though he was much younger. So mm-hmm. it was being done in a way that let's, let me see, how can we make this not successful yes. <laughs> by putting kids who can never oh, succeed with more, you know, <laughs> in a mainstream class, someplace where everybody can see them fail. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's there's certainly most of us I think as parents have seen all the wrong ways this can be done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what are some well, you know, and sometimes that comes from the administration and sometimes that comes from the teacher. I, I have mm-hmm. a, a friend who's just gotten a master's in special ed and is working in classrooms as an aide now waiting to get a teaching job. And, uh, you know, she also describes situations where, you know, the special ed kids go into the classroom at 10 o'clock and sometimes the classroom is doing math at 10 o'clock, but sometimes they're doing something else or sometimes they're watching a movie and sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes the mm-hmm. teacher just isn't in a mood to interact with them. Mm-hmm. So how how can teachers create an inclusive classroom climate uh, and environment that is actually, you know, intended to be successful and to really integrate the kids and not just, oh, my God, somebody says we have to check off this box where we have these kids in our room every day or, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> or somebody mm-hmm. said I have to teach these kids. I didn't go to school for that, but okay. Um, what can teachers do to make this actually work for everybody? And go right ahead. <laughs> yes, that's right. So this podcast is uh, four days long, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, just let me comment, Terry, on something you're describing about this sort of, quote, part-time inclusion. And if you ever yeah. hear the term part-time inclusion, you, you probably know it's not. It's yeah, not it's exactly the other way. Yeah. And yet so what, many what, schools call it that. <laughs> I know they do. Uh, reverse <laughs> inclusion, part-time inclusion, yeah. Yes. Um, what happens when um, schools do that is I call it, they have a foot in both models. Mm-hmm. So they're on one hand, they I, I will presume their positive intentions that they do want the students to be successful during the times that they're in the regular ed classroom. But many of the resources that they need in order to support that student in that classroom are still being spent on Keeping keeping the special ed classroom running. Yes. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm working with a school right now that is in this very place, and we're taking um, about six months to um, work with the staff to figure out how we can stop providing the old pull-out separate model of special education, mm-hmm. take all the staff involved in special ed and Title I services, and assign them to be co-instructors in general mm-hmm. education. Yeah. So one um, one of the important things that needs to happen for teachers to be able to create this is really a larger school restructuring of resources. 
Um, I'm not saying that there isn't an individual teacher here and there um, who can't make inclusion work, but mm -hmm. for it to work for all students um, all the time, um, we're really talking about a different a different model of education, a different way of deploying resources. Mm -hmm. So let's imagine that that um, that has happened, that there is a student with uh, uh, intensive support needs who is going to be a full-time member of a general ed classroom. I think the first thing that the teacher needs to think about is how to model and teach all the children um, what diversity is. Um, not the old-fashioned, okay, we're going to have Disability Awareness Day where mm -hmm. everybody gets to try out Jamie's wheelchair. Or, yeah. yeah um, I remember one, everybody takes a pair of glasses, smears yeah, Vaseline yeah. on it, and it's, so now you've had the experience of being someone with a visual impairment. Yeah. But rather talks about diversity in its broadest sense. Um, Martin Luther King Day is coming up, so we can talk about diversity of race, um, diversity of how you communicate, diversity of culture, and to begin to create a classroom climate in which disability is just a natural part of the human experience. Yeah. And that goes so much against what all of us have been taught. We've mm -hmm. been taught that disability is a tragedy, that children with disability labels need to be fixed, that, that they often need to demonstrate some set of skills before they can be included. So mm -hmm. there are some wonderful resources out there in terms of children's literature and activities mm -hmm. that teachers can do to build that classroom um, climate that's celebrating differences. And um, mm -hmm. I'll be happy to send you some links um, that you could put up on your, on your website if you like. That would be great. So we talked about structural need, um, structural uh, indicators that we really are going to put all our resources into general ed. Talked a little bit about the climate and the mm -hmm. um, attitudes in the classroom. And then, you know, the third big piece is instructional strategies. Right. Mm -hmm. And the, the most promising um, set of instructional strategies, <clears throat> excuse me, um, are based on a concept called Universal Design for Learning, UDL. I'm sure um, <clears throat> that you're familiar with it. But essentially what UDL means is that for every unit that teachers teach, they're going to provide many different ways to represent knowledge. So not only text, but videos, websites, manipulative materials, their teachers will provide many different ways for students to interact and learn in the classroom. So it's not just teacher lecture. Students are doing inquiry-based learning in cooperative groups. They're doing experiments. Um, and then the third leg of universal design is that children are provided with different ways to show what they know. Yeah. So. You, you know, a, a song, a rap, a skit, a poster, um, a traditional essay. Um, and this uh, combination of the three elements of universal design in its, in its best form really probably meets the needs of 99.9% .9 of students 
Um, and then there still may be a student, a student in a classroom, who needs some more personalized accommodations or supports in right. terms of um, a high-tech high means of communication. They may need materials that are um, modified um, to reduce their complexity but still maintain those um, essential general ed learning standards. Excellent. Great description. Thank you. Sure. Yeah, yeah. That w- Do you have any uh, research or any idea of how many schools in the U.S. are actually doing that successfully? I, I don't know. I, d- I can tell you it's in bits and pieces. Mm-hmm. Are there certain in- parts of the country that kind of get it <clears throat> more than others? I mean, I've been hearing about this for years yeah. and years, and I look at our yeah. schools, and it's like, boy, it's not getting out there. And the same no, stuff is there. still going around and around, and yeah. the excuses are still being made. Right. And it's infuriating because, I mean, if I as a parent can learn about this stuff, mm-hmm. yeah. why isn't the school learning about it? Why do the teachers look at me like, well, I can't teach that kid at the same standards, and I have to meet X, Y, Z, you know, expectations of the district and mm-hmm. – um, and yeah. even, you know, parents of kids with special needs. I, I have my my son got into inclusion fairly late in, in high school, and, um, you know, his parents of his friends are like, oh, my kid can't do that, or, you know, he could never be in a regular class. He wouldn't be safe. He wouldn't be able to follow along. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, I, I, unfortunately, there's, there's, yeah, <laughs> there's no great database that shows exactly where this is happening. Mm-hmm. So from a parent perspective, if you're interested I mean, there are parents who will move to a school district yeah. in order to, mm-hmm. which is terrible to think that you have to do that <laughs> to get an equitable education. Yes. But it, re- it really, you sort of have to see it. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. as we all know, people say, oh, we have an inclusive school. Um, yeah. Here, let me show you our inclusive, <laughs> our, our third grade inclusion class. Yeah, now, the, yeah, three exactly. o- the three other third grades aren't. But, yeah, um, right, right. So, but, but the... Very soon, the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act and the Elementary and Secondary Education Act are are about to be reauthorized by Congress. Mm -hmm. So they'll make some tweaks to them. And there's a very strong movement, and I'm very confident that Universal Design for Learning will become part of both of those laws. Mm -hmm. Now, what needs to happen is the federal government needs to monitor states, and, and then states need to monitor their local education agencies, their local yeah. schools, to make sure that, that there's follow-through. And there's still huge problems with that. And, um, and there's also always a mo- an issue of money in local school districts, I know, and, and it's yeah, hard to explain is. why this will, in the long run, be a good thing, yeah. even if it costs a little bit of money right now. Uh, if it yeah. doesn't affect your personal child, you're going to be like, well, I want that money to go to the football team instead. <laughs> I yeah, want that yeah. money to go to, you know. Yeah. Well, it, I guess, you know, one of the <clears throat> arguments that I often make is that there is no research to show that inclusive education is any more expensive in the long run than a separate system of education right. for students with disabilities. Mm-hmm. And, in fact, in this one school district that I'm working with right now, I, I did an observation the other day, and my jaw dropped at how many staff people were actually running around <laughs> providing yeah. fragmented services. There's right. Title One teachers, there's tutors, special ed mm-hmm. people, reading specialists, yes. 
speech yeah. language mm-hmm. pathologist. And mm-hmm. when we sat down and did sort of a big chart, we realized that we could put a second adult in every classroom. Yeah, yeah, um, for that money. For that same money. Now, yeah. there mm-hmm. definitely is an upfront investment in professional development. Yeah. And yeah. I think the other upfront investment, but this will benefit all students, mm-hmm. is um, more technology. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And um, I don't know if you're familiar with the newest project that's being funded by the U.S. Department of Education uh, Office of Special Ed Programs. It's called SWIFT, S-W-I-F-T. Have you heard of it? I have, yes. Yeah. Okay. I haven't. It's at the University of Kansas. It's a five-year project to oh, identify yes, schools all around the country representing very diverse communities mm-hmm. that are, quote, um, doing inclusion and school reform well. And then they will distill sort of the, you know, what are the essential practices at the classroom level, at the school level, at the district leadership level, um, and then um, be able to work with um, more schools around the country in a more systematic way to help yeah. them um, change their schools. Yeah. That's, yeah, I'll, being able to show a school how a do, another school does it is always better than saying, here's this theory, put it into practice. Yeah, it is. <laughs> uh, this is just kind of off off of something that you said a couple of minutes ago, but mm-hmm. what do you, in an ideal inclusion situation, what do you do about things like speech therapy and physical therapy the, the, that have traditionally been pullouts? Um, if you're, if the kid is in an inclusion classroom, the pullouts really don't work so well anymore. Do you recommend pushing in and having a speech therapist or therapist work with the kid um, during school or or during gym for the physical therapy? Yes. Um, I think that, um, you know, I wouldn't say 100% about Mm -hmm. every single communication goal, but the Mm -hmm. the role of related services in an inclusive classroom actually really goes back to what their intended role was Uh when the special ed law was passed which yeah. is it's supposed to be services to enable the students to benefit from their primary instruction. Right. Uh-huh. So uh, students' IEPs really need to be written differently um, yeah. to reflect that. And and I recommend that the speech pathologist um, come into the classroom, mm-hmm. look at what the students without disabilities are doing, how they're participating in learning, and then think what kinds of communication or literacy or or physical support does a student need to fully participate and learn mm-hmm. within that mm-hmm. setting? And then the lot, the the research, particularly around communication skills, would say that students need to learn and practice communication skills mm-hmm. in the environments in which they're going to learn them. Exactly. But that's a big a big shift in practice for folks. <laughs> it is huge, yeah. and it makes so much sense. But mm-hmm. there's always going to be the resistance when you mm-hmm. tell people do your job in a completely different way. I know. I, um, I had a deer in the headlights conversation with a speech pathologist <laughs> the other day. Yeah. <laughs> I'll bet. She's like, You want me to what? <laughs> but I have my room all set up a certain way I just know. for everything, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, they don't like it but No, it's, and, and it's, it's also reflect, it also reflects that shift from curing students. Yeah. To yeah. Supporting them to fully participate, yeah. and they will. Their skills will improve. Yeah, um, it's a whole change of goals. You know, it is. It's like it's really not about them being able to pronounce this particular sound. No, it's about it's them not. being able to be understood. 
You know, That's correct. so uh, you know, I so many meetings I would sit in. Oh, so you know, your child did so great in this, this, and this. I yes, know. but who cares? I know. Wasn't <laughs> able to give his presentation in class. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. we worked all all year on him being able to walk down the hallway with his head up. Well, yeah, okay, golly. but he can't do gym. <laughs> no, that's right. Um, yeah, uh, you know, this is everything you're saying here is great, and I hope that it actually does. I mean, with the reauthorization, that we can mm-hmm. start to put some muscle behind this because yeah. it ain't going to happen otherwise. No, <laughs> it's not. I mean, Folks it's going to happen it for so, the goodness. so slowly um, yes. and in such you know, isolated pockets yes. um, that we really need a national a national commitment. Um, I know our time is yes. growing short, and I wondered if As I As a matter of fact, okay. it is so short that we're done. Um, All righty. I'm sorry we didn't get to that, but next time we have you on, we'll make sure to do so. Okay. Uh, I hope we can have you back. Thank you for well, being our guest you. today. Oh, and you're I would very let you <laughs> I would like to thank our listeners for tuning into our program this morning. Please join us next week when we all have guest Rhonda Greenhaw. Rhonda is involved with a program that seeks to create inclusive opportunities at the college level, something very close to my heart. Uh, be sure to follow the Inclusive Class podcast on Blog Talk Radio so you don't miss out on any of our shows. You can also follow us on Twitter, where Nicole tweets under the name Inclusive underscore Class, and I am at Mamatude, M-A-M-A-T-U-D-E. Cheryl, are you on Twitter? I am not. Okay. Well, get on the website. (laughs) (laughs) What is your website? Uh, My website is um, Cheryl M. Jorgensen, J-O-R-G-E-N-S-E-N.com. Okay, great. And finally, I want to remind everybody that you can download our podcast for free on Stitcher and iTunes. Uh, Goodbye, everybody, and have a great week. Bye-bye. Thank you, Cheryl. Bye-bye.